If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. Today's text comes from Mark 14. We'll be reading Mark 14, verses 32 to 42, page 851 in the Red Pew Bible. Jesus prays in Gethsemane. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took, them, he took with him Peter and James and John, and began, to greatly distress, and, be, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass with him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found, him, found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Jesus, um, challenging passage this morning as we are just looking at your full humanity. And I pray, God, that we would be able to absorb all of that, that we would take time to pause and to reflect upon this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our story picks up after they celebrated Passover with each other, uh, Jesus and his disciples, um, where Jesus spoke of Judas's betrayal and the denial of the remaining 11 disciples. And Jesus said to them in verse 27, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And we see that rather than trusting in the scriptures and trusting in the prophecy of Zechariah, because that's where Jesus is quoting from, they rather trust in themselves. And rather than trusting in Jesus' very words, we find someone like Peter here who said, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus told of Peter's denial directly, and still Peter insists that he won't deny Jesus, that he would die before he would deny Jesus. And then the other disciples follow suit, and they do the same thing, and they say, if I must die with you, uh, I will not deny you. And so here we have one of his disciples who has already left to betray Jesus, and the other 11 insisting that they would die for Jesus and not deny Jesus. And of course, why would they? They've already experienced so many miracles with Jesus, Jesus raising people from the dead, Jesus feeding 5,000 in one afternoon, Jesus walking on water, Jesus calming the storms. But it's so easy to say something, and, and when the time comes, not live by it. It's so easy to say that you die for someone, but then when the actual time comes to do that, that uh, you're probably not going to put your life at risk. 
Jesus already told them in chapter 8, verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And this is a message that Jesus has told them over and over and over again that this was going to happen to him. And this news never really sat really well with the disciples. So it's, it's actually no surprise that they're just not ready to receive this news again from Jesus. Now, with that background, let's look at verse 32. And they went to the, a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. <clears throat> now, Gethsemane means oil press. That's the name of it. And the Mount of Olives here had many olive trees where olive oil was pressed out of the olives. And it's a place that was probably quite familiar to Jesus and his disciples as it's just right outside the Jerusalem walls. It's actually a pretty nice place to get away um, from all the busyness, and yet it was really close by to the city. It's kind of like um, Tilden or the Oakland Hills. Um, super, super nice, even though like you're, you're in here in Oakland. Uh, we just went camping at Lake Chabot. I had no idea that was there, but we went to the group campsite out there. Just nice. It's like uh, gave me this picture of Mount of Olives. Like, you know, like I'm in the city and then I'm just 15 minutes there and I'm out in the woods. Verse 33, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So 11 of his disciples are with him. Eight of them are kind of like on the outer, outer layers of the onion. And, and the three of them, Peter, James, and John, they're like in the center. And so these were the same guys that we find in chapter 9 with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now at the Mount of Transfiguration, those three disciples got a glimpse of Jesus' divinity. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, they get a real close glimpse of Jesus' humanity. And so these three guys get to see these two natures within Jesus. And, and, and here we see him greatly distressed, greatly troubled now. Again, I, I just want to take a moment to, for us to pause and to be able to absorb this, to take this in, that, that Jesus was greatly distressed. He was troubled. Now, greatly distressed, meaning that he was thrown into terror or struck with terror. Trouble, meaning that he was going to experience a, a heavy anguish. And he had these feelings and emotions that, that many, if not all of us, have experienced. I realize that some of us have a much easier time than others sharing our feelings and emotions. Uh, I'm one of those that um, it's easy for me to share them with my wife or my therapist or my kids or a spiritual director, but usually amongst people, unless you get to know me and talk to me, then you, you don't really get to experience that because um, it's tough for me. It's just not part of my temperament, which is why I was so impressed by Pablo last week because I can... Um, relate to him so much that, that he actually shared those emotions when he was here. And I know that I wasn't the only one because I received feedback from other people sharing with me about how, how he was vulnerable with us and he shared that with us. What he did not share with you, and I'm glad he's not here so he can't like stop me. This guy's a former Marine. This guy is a former NCAA Division I middle linebacker, starting. I, and I think he was an All-American or something. He, an All-American. Like he, 
Now, I'm not at liberty to share with you what he does for a living today. But all I can say is that if you ran into him at his job, give up. <laughs> just, just stop. You're, you're not in a good place. Now, I've taught all of Pablo's children Taekwondo, all four of them. And um, I have this really heavy Thai boxing kicking pad. It's, it's like this round. And I have all these d heavy pads and stuff. I can honestly tell you that he's given me the hardest leg kick I've ever experienced. And I've done martial arts since I was four years old, like holding a, a leg pad. That, the hardest. I wish, I wish there was like this pounds per square inch machine that I had, you know, like Drago, when he like punches the thing and he's like, like I think Pablo would like busted the machine. It was like, like he, Seriously, I, I think he could break anybody's leg here if he just went on your leg. But here's the thing. I know it's kryptonite. <laughs> She's sitting in the back. Like, it just, like, like if he was going to attack me, I'd say, Grace! And then you're like, ah! and, um But he's a bad dude. That is a bad dude. If I never needed anyone in the alley with me, Pablo. That's a bad dude. So good of him to break that tough guy exterior in front of all of us. So good. And I hope that allows for a lot of us to be vulnerable, that, that, it, that it gave us permission to, to be that way. And I think the reason why Pablo could do that is because this is Jesus. This is God. He is a vulnerable God. He is not hiding his feelings or his emotions. He says he is love. And everything about God is on display for us to see. He's not holding any of those things back. It, and it doesn't mean that he's weak in terms of the vulnerability that you can overtake him. He's actually quite invincible. And his vulnerability actually just reveals how much he desires to have communion with you. He, he wants that so much. To be in communion, not with this fake you, but, but the real you. He wants the real you. See, the feelings and, and the emotions, they don't surprise God at all because he created them. And in this eternal plan of God's, he, he sent his only son in human flesh. And now get this. Born of an oppressed people a slave race, to a poor family, to a family that had a really bad reputation from this town that really doesn't produce much, because what comes out of Nazareth? So these really, really vulnerable circumstances from this omnipotent God to place his only son, Jesus, to experience great distress and great trouble. And we all experience this at one time or another. We all experience distress, trouble, sorrow, suffering. But here's the thing about it. You know, you know when a major, major surgery is coming up and it's scheduled out, say, you know, for a few weeks or something, it, it does, the distress is kind of far away. That, that trouble is kind of far away. But, but then as the time approaches closer, it, it becomes more distressing. It becomes more 
troubling in that sometimes you, you can't sleep the night before. Right? You, or the morning of, you're just like sweating and it's a cold day or you, like, you just find yourself. And so in our humanity, Jesus experienced all of this. He assumed human flesh. He, he became fully man, fully finite. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, again, these two natures in one person who Jesus, fully man, fully God. And this is just such a mystery. Paul writes about this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's a mysterious thing. Now back to our text, verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. It must have been really, really obvious that Jesus was really distressed, that he was really troubled, because you could see it on his face. Can't you see that in people's faces? You see it in their eyes. You see it in their countenance. You see it in their actions. You see it in kind of normal twitches when people get nervous. You know, they do this or they tap their feet or whatever they do. Um, We can tell when someone is troubled or distressed. You can just see their face. And they could see that Jesus was in agony. Look at Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony... He prayed earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You don't even have to say anything, and you can see this. Now, please keep in mind, this is a cold night. Now, how do we know this is a cold night? You turn to John chapter 18, verse 25, and it reads this. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. If it's hot, you don't do that, right? Now, this was at Caiaphas' house. It's the high priest's courtyard. So it was cold enough to build a fire at Caiaphas' courtyard where Peter was warming himself before he cursed like a sailor when a little girl approached him about being a disciple of Jesus and he got freaked out by a teenager. Um, I totally relate. I'm getting more freaked out as my daughter's getting older. But anyway, and Jesus was sweating drops of blood. So we see that Jesus didn't just communicate verbally, but he's communicating non-verbally. He communicated with his friends verbally also, though, and said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. So he was sorrowful. He was looking for support from his community, and he tells them to remain and watch. We as a community, we need to be better at interpreting people's non-verbal cues and, and to ask them questions about things, or, or just to even say something about, you look really sad. You look like you're lacking energy. You don't look the same as, like, yesterday. Just to kind of get those things going, and, and, and then to also talk to people, and, and to pray with each other, to be vulnerable with one another, with, with those in our community who we feel are safe for us to be this way with and to be present with them. And, and we need to be present for each other to remain and to watch. I think some of us have lost sight of what Jesus experienced because some of us are so familiar with these passages, we kind of just read right through them. And we really need to pause and take time to understand that Jesus experienced Humanity in its fullness, all of it. 
His human experience wasn't buffered at all by his divinity, that he was fully human. And when he said that they would all fall away, where his closest friends would desert him and abandon him and forsake him, that was a real hurt. That, that was a real pain he experienced. And we can't minimize Jesus' humanity because this shows that he does indeed empathize with our hurt, that he can relate to our hurt. That our pain and our hurt, that, that those times that are full of distress and full of trouble and full of sorrow, that Jesus is not looking to minimize those things or to tell you to ignore those things or to, to put them aside. He desires for us to present that to him and to present that to one another and for us to be present for each other. Now, as humans, we express <clears throat> or we experience really, really distressing, troubling, sorrowful events to our life, even to death. Jesus understands this. He gets it. And sometimes Christians want to present everything as just like victorious or it's all about winning. And this is one of the greatest mistakes that I, I, I think that we do is that we, we try to minimize people's horrible feelings that they're going through. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. So in other words, we're, we're more than just victors. We're more than just winners through him who loved us. See, we, we are loved by God. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sometimes we just don't know why we go through the terrible things that we go through or the terrible things that other people go through. And there just aren't words and there aren't any actions that can comfort us or, or comfort those who are going through a really, really difficult time. And sometimes the only thing to hold on to is knowing knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. To just hold on to that promise. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus is his willingness to die as a substitute for our sins. It's one of the biggest pieces of evidence. That he would be willing to be forsaken by God. See, this, does, this doesn't make any sense, does it? For, for a shepherd to give up his life for a sheep is an unimaginable thing. Why would you do that for a sheep? Or for a high priest to offer himself as a sacrifice, that's an unthinkable thing. Or for a king to give up his crown so that his subjects can inherit his kingdom, that is an inconceivable thing. Inconceivable is one of those words that are just forever ruined for me. <laughs> I just, even when I say it, I just like, I, you guys all get it, right? Like, I'm trying so hard not to say it right now. I don't want to say it. I don't want to give it power. <laughs> it wants to come out.
perfect. That's what he did. He's a shepherd that laid his life down for sheep. He's a high priest that substituted himself on the sacrifice. He's the king who stepped down from the throne and gave the kingdom to his subjects. That's, that's, that's what he is. That, that's who he is. And it's the most unimaginable thing. And wants to come out again. You know, on a more serious note, when, when I pray for some of you um, and, and your agony, sometimes I just want to scream. Like you're, you're going through the most terrible thing. And sometimes it's just really overwhelming for me. You know, my, my heart just breaks. I want to encourage all of us to just feel each other's agony, to, to take it in, and also not to say stupid things, and not to do stupid things. You know, don't, don't write that email or that text that says, everything's going to be okay. Don't do that one, because how in the world do you know? You know, I was an EMT through college. Um, that's kind of how I paid my way through college is I was an EMT um, doing like a 48-hour shift on the weekends. And we were trained never, ever, ever say that everything will be okay. Don't say that because you don't know. And I can't tell you how many people I've taken to the hospital, they looked fine. And then I'm doing my paperwork and later to find like they died. You know, like the shock afterwards, whether it's like a motorcycle accident or a gunshot wound or a stabbing or whatever it is. Like, I was just really surprised. Like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to make it. He, he looks fine. Don't tell somebody to look on the bright side. Or don't tell somebody that God has plans for what happened. And you might be really well-meaning, but sometimes those actions and those words, they're just like really trivial and really meaningless. And sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. The best thing to say is nothing. And in the most difficult circumstances, sometimes the best thing to do is just to remain and watch. You're present and you're watch. You, you be present and when you observe something good to say or something good to do, then you do that, but, but it's okay. Learn to be okay to, to be in people's sorrow, to, to be present with them, and just, just to watch. Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. His soul was very sorrowful, even to death. And when Jesus went through those feelings and emotions, what did he want his disciples to do? Tell me encouraging words. Lift my spirits. Like No, it's, he just said, Remain and watch. There's probably nothing you guys can say. There's nothing you guys can do. Remain and watch. And this is the reality of Jesus' distress. He's, he's anticipating the betrayal, the abandonment, the, the suffering, the pain, the isolation from the Father, all the humiliation. And the better we truly understand distress, trouble, sorrow, from Jesus, that he experienced that himself, the better that we're going to understand each other's distress, trouble, sorrow, 
Verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, after Jesus shared his feelings and his emotions, look at what he shares next. His desire. He shares his desire. And in looking at Jesus' posture of prayer, this is not a typical posture. Because for Jews, a typical posture would be to stand. You go to Israel today in Jerusalem, you go to the Western Wall, what are most of those people doing? They're standing as they pray. So that's a typical posture. But here we find Jesus on the ground. And it's because he's so troubled, he's so distressed, he's so full of sorrow. It was just overwhelming. And Jesus shared what he really wanted. He shared his desire. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And look at the next thing to see is what Jesus wanted. He shares his desire, he shares his emotions, he shares his feelings, and then he he shares his desires. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Here's the desire. Remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. He really meant it when he said this. He, he wanted this cup removed from him. This is not some act of like some false humility or some, you know. He really wanted it removed. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God really gave his only son. Like, this is really what's happening. And Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath against sin, sin which separates us from God. And this picture of a cup of wrath is found in several places in scriptures. It's, it's, a, <clears throat> it's a term used against nations that enslave and oppress people of God. You look at Jeremiah chapter 25, starting in verse 14. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, And I will recompense them according to their deeds and the works of their hands. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. That's the picture of God's wrath. And this picture kind of changes when Jesus kind of takes that wrath upon himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus identifying with sin, identifying with that sin nature that is in all of us, Jesus entered into that reality of drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin. That's highly distressing. That's highly troubling. Because back in Jeremiah, entire nations have been wiped out from God's wrath because of that sin nature. So to share that desire to have the cup removed from Jesus is a very reasonable request. In fact, to not desire that cup to be removed would prove that he's insane. He's out of his mind. And Jesus did not die as a martyr as when people die for their beliefs. He suffered a death as a substitute for sin. It was much more than just martyrdom. He really wanted that removed from him, not for some special effect, but it was a cry from his humanity, from that human desire. And if this wasn't what Jesus really wanted, it would show that he wasn't really 
fully human. But here's proof that he is. This is a very human thing to desire, to want. Finishing off in verse 36, yet not what I will, but what you will. We find that Jesus shared his feelings and his emotions, right? He was distressed, troubled, sorrowful. We, we see that he shared his desire, remove this cup from me, and then he submitted his will to God's will. He, he trusted God. Now that word submit is um, a bad word in the Bay Area. Like it's, it's a bad word, right? That's, we, we don't like that. Because sometimes it has this negative connotation um, that's associated with dominance. And who wants to be dominated? But that's not what's happening here, and that's not what God is asking. It's not God's heart to dominate us. When someone wants to dominate another person, they want to break that person of their agency, of their will, to do anything of dignity. They want to break that. That's what sex traffickers do to people. God doesn't do that. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, God gave them dominion. He gave them agency. And then throughout history from Genesis on, we see that humanity has been empowered by God to exercise agency, to be stewards, to, to, be, to do good, to do good work, to do things out of our own free will. We see that God like, gives this generously. And what we have here in the last few verses, I think I've just shared what church is. This is what church is. It's a place where we can share our real feelings and our emotions, where we share our real desires. And after that is all shared with each other, we guide people to trusting God in those things. We remain, we watch with each other to seek God's will in our lives, lifting each other up in prayer to pursue obedience that's church. That's us. Right? A real authentic community sharing real feelings and emotions, our real desires, and seeing what God wants to do with those things. Some of those things, great, they're going to happen. Some of those things, they're not going to happen. Verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? See, Jesus wanted the his guys to just be on the lookout, not, not to run when people came, but, but just to know, like, like us, we want to know when, when things are going to happen, when painful things are happening, when hurt is happening, and, you know, like the shot that's coming. Um, you you want to know. Like, I, I, I guess I always do. I, like, oh, you can look away. I'm like, no, I want to see that thing. I want to see it. Because I don't want to be surprised by it, you know? Like, ah! It's, I want to know. So, Again, Jesus is not just a martyr. He's not just merely an example. Jesus is the Christ who took on the sins of the world. And when addressing sin, sin which separates us from, separates every living thing from God, that it's a really serious thing. This is a life and death issue. It's of the utmost severity. So when we talk about Christianity, it's so much more 
than telling somebody, oh, your relationships will get better, or your marriage is going to get better, or you'll, you'll find friends, or whatever, whatever the thing that people use, like you'll, you'll overcome that addiction, or this social justice cause, we're going to fight for that, or all these different things. We need to understand that without Jesus overcoming sin, where the wrath of God is justified, all of those things that we, we tell people are about Christianity or what the church is about aren't really addressed because we're still broken. Everything's still broken. And Jesus makes it possible for our brokenness to be healed, for us to be whole, for us to be completely healed, and then moving into all those different things. Through this overcoming of sin, we are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors. That God's will is to be done. Not our will, but God's will. Our feelings, our emotions to be expressed in all honesty and sincerity so that we can put them before God. All of our desires to be shared in honesty and sincerity put in front of God. And seeking his will in all of that. Having trust in God that even when something does not go the way that we want it to go, we trust God. He's trustworthy of all of our obedience. There are a ton of great reasons to come to Jesus. But in coming without recognition of sin and how Jesus on the cross paid that debt, one doesn't really understand who Jesus really is. There's no Christianity without the debt of sin Jesus paid on the cross. It just doesn't exist. Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those of us who pray and, and we don't get what we pray for, we're in very good company. You will get an answer, but the answer might be no. But you'll always get an answer from God. Yes, no, maybe later, but you always get an answer. You just don't always get what you want. And so we're, we're a lot like Jesus, who prayed for this cup to be removed, but it wasn't removed. Have any of you thought about this before? Because sometimes we just give Jesus answers, like, oh, what a, Jesus was so perfect that whatever he prayed for, he got. That's not what's happening here. He prayed for the cup to be removed. The cup was not removed. We're just praying for God to answer, really. We're not, right? God answered. He said no. That was Jesus in his full humanity, sharing his feelings, his emotions, his desires, and through it all, he still trusted in God and obeyed the will of God. It does not mean he's weak. It does not mean he's anything less than fully divine. Prayer doesn't always lead to things getting fixed the way that we want them to get fixed. And throughout this entire agonizing time, Jesus instructed the disciples to remain and to watch and to watch and pray. But Jesus found them sleeping. Now in these times of weakness for Peter, you notice Jesus referred to Peter's old name, Simon. Now Simon means wobbly, right? Shaky, wobbly, unstable. Prayer leads us away from temptation. It, it moves us from weakness to strength. And if they prayed instead of slept, I just wonder what would have happened with all the denial and the doubt and the desertion 
from Jesus. In, in prayer, we acknowledge our weaknesses and, and we also acknowledge God's strength. That the, that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. They weren't there for Jesus when Jesus needed them the most. And when Jesus needed their support, they, they just let him down completely. Where have we fallen asleep as a church? Where have we not showed up where we're most needed? There are a lot of places we need to show up. A ton of them. There are a lot of times we've fallen asleep when, when we've needed to watch and pray. Verses 41 and 42. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough the hour has come? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is, is so gracious. They, they all f- fell asleep, but, but Jesus didn't just like disown him. Like, forget it. God, three years, come on. Like, come on. And the same goes for us. You know, the, the church throughout history, we've, we've fallen asleep through different things that we've denied and we've disowned Jesus through various things. But he's not resented us. He, he, he's not felt bitter towards us. He has been saddened. He's a feeling, emotional God. But he's still there for us. He has faith in us to be the church he has commissioned us to be. Um, we have a different setup here this morning. The stones are there not to throw at me. Um, I'm going to get Pablo on you if you do. There's markers there and there's stones. And and what we want to do is we want to invite you to be completely vulnerable, to be completely honest and transparent. What you're feeling or what you're feeling, we, we want you to put your feelings on there. I need to differentiate between feelings and emotions. Feelings are deeper than emotions. And let me try to illustrate this for you. You emote things like anger, right? So whatever, someone can diagnose your emotions, but they can't diagnose your feelings. So say I am angry. You don't know why I'm angry. And so the feelings can be abandonment, but you can't see abandonment on my face. You look abandoned. Like you, you, can't, you can't see that. You can see that I'm angry. You can see that I'm sad. We want you to dig a little bit deeper and go to emotions because we want to find out what the underlying layer is. Right? God, God wants that honest vulnerability and transparency. So if you find yourself angry, dig deeper. I had to do a lot of work to figure that out as an angry person and to figure out like how much respect had to do with it and then, and then I could deal with like the real stuff of disrespect. So whatever those feelings are, we kind of want you to write it down there. If you want, you can take ownership and put your name on there. I just need to let you know that someone might see it because we're going to use it for landscaping somewhere on the grounds here. So. 
but that's cool, right? That's good. The other thing we want you to put down there is your desire. What you really, really want, even if it's, you're questioning it's not a good thing. Like, I shouldn't be wanting that. I should want this. Don't, don't, don't should all over yourself. Some of you got it. Put down your real desire. What you really want. And then we're just going to put it at the foot of the cross and say, not my will, but yours. That if God needs to do some work in terms of some heart work, you're just open-handed about that. That you're willingly giving that to him. The real desires that I have, I'm going to give it up to you. Even though I want this very thing and it looks like a good thing, but not my will but yours. So as we take communion with each other and the, and the worship team leads us in our second set of worship, we, we invite you also to take part in this. Um, there's not a ton of room on there, so you, you not, might not be able to write everything, but just write down those words, feelings, emotions, desires, and we're just going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. We have the communion elements up here um, for you. Um, he so desires communion with you. He, he, he wants that intimacy with you. And so we're inviting you to partake in that, to, to invite you to be part of that. And so let me pray for us, and, and then we can start on this. Jesus, we, we just pray for some real soul work to, to happen in our people. For There's so many here um, that value authentic, honest, genuine community, and so many people are already doing that within their small group settings and within friends, um, that this is indeed a community that celebrates that uh, we are not a judgmental, condemning community. And so, Lord, we just pray for that safety, that feeling of safety to be um, all over this room, that people will feel an openness for some real heart work, some soul work to happen in, in just writing down their true desires, their true feelings about things happening in their life. And we're going to submit it to your will. You always answer. We just don't always know if it's what we want, but you always do. And so, Lord, we, we submit this time to you, and we ask for great communion to happen with your children, that we have that with each other, and that we're going to have that with you now. In Jesus' name, amen.